and we're back with another episode of Food in the Hood. That's right. We are um, two weeks late for our regular schedule. Yeah, we we uh, looked at our last epi- episode. It was like a month ago. Yeah. When it was so, published, so uh, Ben and I have been kind of busy. Uh, uh, yeah, that's true. It's a little bit of uh, I don't know. It's the end of summer, early fall. Exactly. Uh, reorientating i don't know reorientation of our life i don't know yeah well you also <laughs> moved to the netherlands so uh, you have more of a reason for being mia <laughs> yeah a little bit it's fine yeah uh, but, but this is kind of a good time for a new episode to be recorded because mm-hmm, it's our two-year anniversary that's coming up so. yes <laughs> it's crazy i've been doing this for two years so over 600 700 days Oh my god. Oh, well, so believe it or not, our first episode, which is titled Ignore the Process, uh, was published <laughs> <laughs> was published um, October 7th of 2018. So that's exactly two years from, uh, from now. Yep. Yep. That's right. So mm. since then, we've published 33 episodes, uh, soon to be 34. This one will be our 34th episode. And we were kind of just looking through the stats and realized that a good chunk of our episodes came out uh, right at the start of the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. So when Ben and I were just stuck at home all day. Right. So if you are a, a longtime listener, uh, you might find that about half uh, of our episodes were recorded in 2020. And since the pandemic uh, hit the uh, US and, and Europe, uh we've been the whole world more, basically the whole world yeah well but but uh, you know after looking at our podcasting list the episode list we were ahead of the time of talking about covid because we talked about covid the first in time March. We, no i think the first time was in end of january when it was hitting oh. china we talked about uh coronavirus reflection hygiene and food culture that's episode oh. 20 Wow, we are pioneers. Yeah, but then we did another one when we were actually impacted in late March. When it kind of spread to the rest of the world. Totally. Yeah, and, um, you know, ever since then, pandemic kind of became a topic in a lot of the episodes and um, definitely Mm -hmm. a topic in the food production world as people are thinking and rethinking. A lot of our episodes, you know, were linked to the pandemic, uh, just kind of interweave through our last few episodes the same way it's, I guess, interweaved in our daily lives now, um, no matter who we are, where in the world we are. So, um, but yeah, we're we're very happy to reach our two-year anniversary mark. And I think, I think some of our listeners have been here for a long time since the beginning as well. Yeah. So that's really right. exciting to know that, oh, there are people um, who have been listening to us for a long time and has seen sort of the evolution of this podcast from when we first started. Oh, totally. <laughs> you can totally hear the evolution. Like... The, oh, my God. The first episode, we had so many bloopers. There was an entire blooper reel. Yeah. Um, ben had a hard time editing because we were like pausing and playing and pausing and playing. And I also was sucked at, uh, I, I sucked at um, editing back then, too. So, yeah. I mean, who would have known that this had been going for two years and um just amanda and i have been 
uh, we, we've never re- recorded in person. Correct. For this Correct. podcast, and yeah. we have been in. At least we've changed three or four different physical locations since this podcast started. Right, you were in Kansas for a bit, then you were in New York, and now you're in Netherlands.、Yeah. I was in Ohio. Sometimes was in Malaysia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and、We、now、recorded. I'm in Chicago.、Uh-huh. It's a very international podcast. <laughs> totally, this podcast has been、um, transatlantically recording right now, and、yeah. um, it has also been recorded. Uh, Trans Pacific too. Correct. When I was in Asia, yeah, you were in the U.S. Yeah. Or or maybe we did it too when I visited China. I oh,、forgot. I think so. But the other yeah, way yeah. too. But it's crazy.、Uh, I'm it's been... I'm happy that we were able to keep it continuous. I honestly thought it would be one of those things where oh, I'll do like three episodes and kind of like you know, <laughs> yeah, just <died laughs> fall off the bandwagon. But yeah, yeah happy to yeah. see where it's at. Um, But the content also evolved a lot too. Oh yeah,、um, yeah. I think we speak a lot more on the fly now, and I think we're a little bit more comfortable just kind of talking off the cuff、mm-hmm. um, about whatever comes to mind. And、yeah. I think for you know today, what we really want to talk about is a little bit of storytelling, a little bit of history, a little bit of science, all interweaved together. And it's about I think we touched on this really briefly in the past, but it's about canning. Right, canning、yes. and canned food. We have mentioned this name,、uh, Nicholas Apart, in the past.、Uh, so he is a French chef and、uh, confes- confectioner,、um, confectionist, confectioner maybe.、Um, <laughs> one of those two. <laughs> yeah, English is not、two. my native language either. <laughs> so, so like this guy who,、um, you, you know, he's a French, and his name is currently.、Um, On the highest award, well, how how do you how do you say this? Like Nicholas Apart Award is the highest、mm-hmm. honor that you could earn from the Institute of Food Technologist, the Professional Society of Food Scientists.、Mm-hmm. So this guy is also known as the father of canning. So he developed canning、uh, right. in the nineteenth、uh, uh, century, early nineteenth century, in eighteen o five. And、um, this was kind of one of those open call that、uh, Napoleon did uh,、mm-hmm. when uh,、um, uh, the French Empire was basically de- doing an open call for whoever can develop a safe and、um, you know preserve food for a long time for the sailors、uh, mm-hmm. because they were having bad diets and food cannot be preserved for a long time. Right, right.、Mm-hmm. So an open call, and you know this guy who was not even a scientist, and he was a chef. I but I think he was more known as being a confectioner. But he just had a、mm-hmm. crazy idea. He tried something, and then it worked. Right. So basically, well, basically what? Yeah, put stuff yeah, in boiling water. Yeah. yeah, he put you know he put a bunch of stuff in a glass jar. Through the glass jar and boiling water, boiled it until he thought, "Okay, it looks about right. I think that <laughs> that looks good, right? I、yeah. feel good about this." And then he took it out, let it cool, and basically that's canned food. Yes. And I think what's really interesting about this was that you know it obviously it worked, right? And you know later on, other people worked on many iterations of it. You know, moving from glass jars to Metal cans, etc. But what I found really interesting is it was like a very happy accidental discovery, and it is not. I guess when we think about scientific discoveries, that's not what we picture, especially in this day and age.、Um, well, yeah. So the 
kind of the fun fact of this was um like the actual canning was developed 60 years before people mm-hmm. know the existence of bacteria right because that was done by Louis Pasteur's uh, Swanek experiment mm-hmm. we all learn yeah. from microbiology um so which isn't quite of a surprise because food and the preservation is so close to people's life that yeah. the application and the practical side of development might come w- first. Would, yeah, before. come first. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So I just felt, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense for people to cook food and people for a very long time didn't understand the science of right, cooking. Right, right. You know, even um, fermenting food or salting or pickling things and, oh, it works and it preserves the food. We don't know why, but it works, right? That That's kind mm-hmm. of a, a lot of ways that food might be different from other disciplines is, is because everyone's so intimate with it. We might come to a solution without understanding why first. Yeah, and and a lot of it still is is going on. And we just thought, and, and canning as opposed to just regular cooking, uh, became industrialized in uh, uh, it, during the its development right so it wasn't just like baking or other um, unit of operation mm-hmm. um, it, it really made a big difference because that's like the way to preserve food for mm-hmm. a long time that's yeah that's interesting you said that because you know after this technology was developed it wasn't like people started doing it at home people actually didn't really trust the technology all that much because it was kind of weird and it might not have tasted great um so but then mm-hmm. people applied it on an industri- industrial level first so they made these giant metal cans um you know that had like 30 pounds of meat and then that was, you know, thermally processed in a can, etc. Um, so it, it is a little bit of a different story than your usual. Kind yeah. Of- yeah. I, and nowadays people take it for granted, right? Because canned food has been uh, kind of carrying Around this. Around for so long. Yeah. And it's carrying this negative connotation nowadays yeah. right? as, as being unhealthy, as being, uh, you know, high in sodium and other uh, uh, other stuff. Yeah. Per se. But then what's really interesting is like that was the novelty back then. Mm-hmm. And, and and all of a sudden, uh, as people are knowing more and and even in, you know, university settings or research, uh, research and development are not focused on canning anymore. Yeah, like because that, it is so. That's well like the figured out. It's yeah. like the figured people out. Are, USDA is not going to give you more money to look into canning. They're like, it's oh. been well developed enough. Okay, let's move yeah. on. <laughs> so that's all nowadays is not non thermal processing yeah, and all yeah. that. I guess um, for people who are not familiar with the science of canning, maybe we can provide a sort of brief background on why it works. Oh, do you know why it works? <laughs> do, do, do you? <laughs> <laughs> Well, basically, the idea is, I think the notion that people had in the past is something called spontaneous generation. So think about, you know, a worm appearing in your apple or fruit flies appearing in your bananas. People thought that life just originated out of nowhere, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And... But that's not true. We know that today, right? We know that if you just kill every living thing inside a broth or a soup, it should stay that way until it is, you know, exposed to contaminated air or something of that nature. So because then there's you... microbe-containing media 
either yeah. it's air, water, your hands, right, sweats, whatever. Exactly. So when you put food in a container and you seal it, you know, there's bacteria and whatnot that's still living in the food. But then if you thermally process it in that closed container, um, everything inside the container that is alive is killed and it stays that way for, you know, many, many years until you mm -hmm. open it again. And that's sort of the premise of canning, right? Yes. And I think it's very obvious to us today, but to to back then when people thought lives just grew out of nowhere, yeah. I think this is kind of a novel thing, which is why also Nicholas Apar didn't know exactly why it worked, but he knew that it worked. Mm -hmm. um, and this, the idea of spontaneous generation was not disproved, like Ben said, until 60 years after when Louis Pasteur did his Swanick experiment that, you know, we're all a little bit more familiar with. Yeah. And to give science credit, uh, Louis Pasteur is probably way better known than Nicholas Apart in the oh, yeah. field of science and also in the general public's mind, right? Mm -hmm. Because like that Swatnek experiment, which proved that uh, you need the uh, microbes to contaminate a broth, it's something that um, is revolutionary, right? So then the entire field of microbiology and um, uh, the subsequent molecular biology and all the stuff that we're working on right now against COVID was sort of empowered mm -hmm. based on, um, you know, Louis Pasteur and Robert Koch, the uh, German scientist, uh, their, their generation. And, and that kind of is what really it's sparking, sparkling in the, like sparking the interest of food research we were both uh inspired and uh, we read this um, class notes from mm -hmm. uh, dr john coupland uh, from penn state university uh there's a very nice anecdote about uh, william underwood who is um the founder uh, of um, uh, the underwood canning company in boston um, so that's like the first canning operation in the u.s Right, in, way uh, back in early 18. Yep. Yeah, so this is still before, um, you know, uh, Pasteur had, uh, did his experiment. People right. are producing canned foods at large scales. Correct. Already. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then his grandson, uh, whose name is also William, so William Jr., um, inherited the business and went to MIT at that time, was like the Boston Tech um university or something it wasn't called mit back then mm -hmm. um uh to ask about like canning questions about canning and um it's it's exactly like how things are happening right now yeah. right because like if you have a technical question you go to, you a, go university. to a university and you ask them yeah. to help you figure it out why great if you have money <laughs> yeah well well industry that's how like industry sponsored research right, goes right, right. Exactly. it's like exactly the same nowadays it's same just motive. different problems and yeah. what's interesting is also you know Ep um, nicholas Eppart might have developed the original technology but what we know today as canned food looks nothing like that, right? It's many, many layers of refinement of that technology over time, starting oh, totally. with the Underwood Canning Company, right? Mm -hmm. So like you said, um, William Jr. came to MIT, worked together with a chemist to further research and understand that science and further develop that technology, right? So yeah. Um, so, so you can only, your novelty back then could only be a... Uh, a beginning 
Mm-hmm. And what the refinement comes in, and refinement all, always comes with experiments, with theories, and uh, sort of a patent recognitions uh, along with the process to go into the 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 more developed stage of the technology, mm-hmm. right? And yeah, mm-hmm. and then the interesting um, anecdote is also that uh, Underwood Junior, so the grandson, actually worked with a junior chemist uh mm-hmm. called uh sam prescott so prescott uh surprisingly or unsurprisingly enough he yeah. his name is also one of the ift awards <laughs> uh, right so prescott was a young scientist uh, i read a little bit of his wikipedia page this guy was a uh sort of a soft talk genius even before mm-hmm. he attended uh, mit uh, he uh, studied in the chemistry department and actually was one of the founding members in the IFT, uh, sorry, MIT's uh, food science department. Which is really interesting because the food mm. science department, I kind of no first longer, one. Right. That's the first one funded in the U.S. It's, MIT it's no MIT. longer has a food science department now, though. No, no. no. I think it all kind of vanished right, um, right. or shifted to other universities. Mm-hmm. Per se, because the professor that taught us, Ted Labuza, he was a graduate of MIT back yeah. in, I don't know, 60s or 70s when the department was still existing at MIT. Right. For, yeah. for some reason, that department kind of disintegrated, which is kind of ironic because it was the first um, sort of food science department. Yeah, I don't know. That... There, there must be some stories behind it. There but, must be a story. Yeah. There's always a story, but uh, uh, yeah. unfortunately, we don't, we don't have that, that story. story right now. <laughs> if we do know, there might be an episode <laughs> yeah, right. coming out. Yeah. If, if any listeners know that part of the history, it would be also interesting to share. Oh, yeah, um, definitely. Yeah, yeah but, but overall, MIT is very in the forefront of everything uh, as an institution. They, they work on the very cutting edge of everything. So this was cutting edge, truly, back at yes. those times. But yes. I think taking a look at the kind of social aspect of canned food, though, right? We, we talked about how canned food didn't become like a household domestic thing. It's not like, oh, everyone started putting stuff in glass jars and boiling it. It was more of an industrial application. Um, but even so, you know, the idea at that time of just eating food from a can, that's kind of jarring to a lot of people, right? You have a metal right. can. At, at the very food. beginning, it is because uh, it's totally uh, paradigm shifting. Yes, right. but people slowly grew to accept it over and time. And then home canning becomes a thing. Yeah. Because yeah. like the, the shift was like you at first apply to a industry scale to kind of gain popularity and acceptance. Well, first acceptance and then popularity. Mm-hmm. And then you have more of these small productions at home. Even people are doing their own jarring and canning of exactly you know, yeah. different But part of that process of, you know, popularizing canning also is not strictly focused on the can. It's also focused on the can opener, right? I don't know about you, but uh, I can't open a can without a can opener. I've tried opening a can with knives and it gets very dangerous very fast, Uh. (laughs) right? So part of that social acceptance also comes with the invention of the can opener. Um, So there's a lot of, you know, factors that goes into something becoming accepted, like a new science technology 
being accepted. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm just thinking about examples today, right? Right now, things that seem really not familiar or even weird right now, like to a lot of Americans, the idea of eating insects yeah. or using insects as a source of protein, that's just hella weird for a lot of people, but not in other parts of the world, right? Could so you thinking, imagine like if this paradigm <laughs> carries on, like dude, industrial? <laughs> yeah, or think about Minnesota State Fair. In- instead of people just like eating fried donuts, they're eating like fried crickets <laughs> and like fried grasshoppers. I mean, it's yeah. very novel to think about right now. But then that makes me think, what is the paradigm shift needed for us to move kind of people's mindset towards acceptance of either a new technology or a new food or a new way the food is developed and delivered to people. Um, wow, that's that's a great analogy, I feel. Because, right. We, I mean, we too talk bad a lot all about... these people died, but otherwise <laughs> yeah. they'll be able to tell us exactly what we need to do. Hey, can you give me like a step-by-step <laughs> to get people to eat crickets? <laughs> yeah, like a playbook for... and And even, I mean... At the industrial level, it doesn't have to be like the physical shape of the bug, right? Could yeah. be something more. Like it could even be patty. like cricket powder, right? That you add mm-hmm. to your like whey protein powder mix or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, which are probably more friendly to people. The reason I talk about that is I think there's a lot of very interesting sustainable food technologies being developed. Just people are not socially ready to accept that yet, be it insect protein or even like eating seaweed and algae and that kind of, you know, realm of things. So, or even plant based meat. Yeah. I feel like that requires, because nowadays the popularity is only among the 2% of population, right? Which generates a lot of hype, but sort of the silent majority um, doesn't necessarily only exist in like freaking presidential polls it also could be existing in in um in acceptance of plant-based diets yeah right so so that whole thing it's and and i don't know how many of these um new technologies has been there for food like Mm -hmm. the scale of canning Um, right and i feel that would be like it will be a paradigm shift just for right. this to happen. Like yeah. think about these. These paradigm shifts require unlocks, right? So for acceptance of canning, that unlock part of it was a technology unlock. You just needed a can opener, right? But then when it comes to things like eating insects, I don't think that's purely a technology unlock. There is also some element of a social unlock. To- yeah, yeah, yeah. So well, I feel. Probably the beginning of the canning food, canned foods also taste mushy and bad, right? And overly salted. So there, there is a because taste is king, correct? Right. Yeah. So, so like I, I feel like well, taste is king is to some extent because if you were feeding people at young age something that's the, the, like to develop that familiarity from a very young age, mm-hmm. uh, you're shifting people's taste which kind of make yourself the crown and becomes the king later. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it really depends. I feel canning could have been through that process because we're really talking about almost 200 years ago, well, exactly 200 years ago, of how canning became a thing back yeah. then. And now 200 years later, it's still everywhere, <laughs> um, you know, give or take. Right. It's still It's still pretty big of an industry and 
we study a like fundamental course in food engineering deals with thermal processing, and that's、mm-hmm. that's a very big part of even nowadays the current education. Yeah, the retort process, canning, etc. Yeah, no,、mm-hmm. that's 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 totally right. Yeah, yeah.、Um, so and that's very interesting to think like what what could be there for a new thing that now we have to become、mm-hmm. something like canning. Yeah, something that has that、uh-huh. potential to be the next big thing.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think also.、Um, You know, when you look at fields such as cancer research, or you know, prosthetic or HIV、uh, treatment, etc., like there's that kind of mystique that people have, like, oh, there's gonna be like a new thing or a new cure or a new, you know, something novel and exciting. I think food. A lot of people think that food has already reached its endpoint in some ways. Hmm. <clears throat> I think this, you know, obviously not everyone thinks this way, but I think because food is so ubiquitous, and we don't, we think we all think that we understand food so much better than we do,、um, you know, HIV treatment or vaccines. That people kind of think that, oh, maybe this is it. Like, what else can we do that can really bring food to a next level? And、yeah. what would that require, right?、Um, and I'm not. For for me at least, I I don't think it's necessarily in a sense of how we can make food taste. Um, I think like the next big thing might have a lot to do with the intersection of food and agriculture, in、mm-hmm. a sense of how to elevate that to make it better for the planet. I think that would be、oh, something、yeah. that's kind、totally. of novel and groundbreaking and really important. Given our burgeoning population, yeah, like the relationship or the. I wouldn't say the causation has figured out, but but the but the relationship is definitely mapped from food production to environment and to、um, to ecology, right? So what you what what you point out there is that food production is kind of figured out at a like facing hunger level, right? Because right. much of the product development efforts. Nowadays, into new food is not to boost people's calorie intake. It's、uh, not to necessarily boost nutrition or to make sure that people. It's it's. I, well, I it's nutrition. See, well, when it's when nut- it's nutrition, it's like optional nutrition, kind right, of. Right, right.、Um, But in the sense of like, we're not trying to solve world hunger or anything that's super pressing. In a sense of that's related directly to consumption, at least. Right. So, so, so that is a more of a different level of food, right? What we're talking about, food, food is multi-dimensional, and one of the dimension is in the agricultural production、yeah. level. So that is like Norman Brolog, who I feel like we're just throwing names today. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of、uh, history going on yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. Norman Brolog is also、uh, the head or the lead of the Green Revolution in the 1960s, who、uh, went to、uh, South America. Well, he's a、oh. graduate of U of M,、yeah. uh, University、mm-hmm. of Minnesota, and he worked primarily from、uh, Texas. A and M, I think,、uh, when, when he is actually actively doing research. But、uh, Norman Brolog won a Nobel Peace Prize for his effort of、uh, crossbreeding、um, a variety of different crops, particularly、right. for each region, and、um, to boost food production at、mm-hmm. the field level. 
right yeah. so so yeah. much of our effort nowadays in in food product developers are more centered towards to like packaged goods um mm-hmm. side of things and that is more for joy and yeah the, and, and not for emotion. necessity right right so the emotion connection is way larger than the um than than the actual survival needs yeah because what norman borlaug did and why he got a nobel peace prize was he literally improved the food security in those regions and prevented deaths by improving exactly. the yield of the varieties of crops being grown so that's something that's very large scale and that literally mitigated poor health Whereas mm-hmm. I think like what we are doing today as food developers, at least in, you know, sort of industrialized nations is that, yes, technically we can make food healthier or like, you know, and make it in a way that reduces, you know, people's chance of getting cardiovascular disease, etc. But I think we are beyond that point of making food for, I guess, like making food to maximize access and yield and to make sure everyone gets gets fed and now it's like a different angle right right, right. which is more of a long-term thing right because if you're thinking about in 1820 when people were basically cooking at home right they don't there's not a lot of other options for food and canning becomes a thing because people needed to sell to further places where they didn't have fresh food access Right, people on ships. That's like the needs for canning to become a permanent uh, solution, essentially. Mm -hmm. And nowadays, if we're looking at the rationale from plant-based diets, from insect proteins, from cell uh, cell cell-based meat, culture-based meat, they all have like they're all trying to future-proof something that people hasn't been doing on a large scale. Mm -hmm. And I feel like. And and probably from like the older times, like war is something that's much closer to people's life than like where we are right now. Right, right. The like, necessity of staying fed when, you know, your country is in war. Yeah. That necessity is more demanding for us to come up with a solution to versus you know what we see today, right? Like, yeah, oh, we're like plant-based at peace meat. for like eighty years. Right. Worldwide, like, like, oh, like on large okay. scale. Plant-based meats uh, is great for the environment, but a lot of people don't feel the direct effects of, you know, a worsening environment in their day-to-day lives, especially if they live in certain countries that can pretend or shield itself from those effects, right? Right, exactly. So so you you don't see that. So first of all, you don't see that population level urgency. And also, it's there's not no a day-to-day needs. urgency for day-to-day exactly. people's lives. So, and there's also no special urgency from, say, like the military needs. Mm-hmm. Um, like I mean, like imagine you you could totally have that, right? Like I don't know if the militaries are actually doing it, but like yeah. some some like cell based bioreactors could be carried to the field, and you could just literally pumping out of hamburgers for your soldiers. <laughs> right? That's like that's like something that really would have a big impact on the war zone, probably, yeah. right? Like. Forget about like the the YouTube videos of trying military freeze dried food. Military RTS. Yeah, th- yeah. Like think about if you could just carry one of those reactors and just travel around with your um with with your military unit, right? But but then 
but then that that like the need of that is also decreasing because like i don't think people are really um uh, i think like ready to eat like right to face plus anymore. ready to eat military rations are like a lot more better tasting today than let's say 50 years ago true but well. then there's still right. no fresh food supply uh, yeah. first of all you don't have those like land army giant fights like the world war Two <laughs> type of fight right nowadays right. it's like send a drone over yeah or, like, it's a different mode of yeah war. like like fighter jets and all that stuff um yeah you yeah. can't just go how do we go to... from canning to uh this <laughs> <laughs> like this is a very yeah. no normal trajectory of our conversation this yeah. episode is going to be titled canning and uh uh something else <laughs> yeah but but like the the thing here is just we're we're trying to kind of connect canning to 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 some of the more recent innovations in food and and maybe one day something will be reflected just like we are reflecting canning. canning yeah 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 i wonder what what that new technology or whatever it may be it's interesting to think about what okay. it could be amanda but... it's 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 time for you to predict oh it's time for me to predict do i have a magic crystal ball in front of me yeah i don't want to say the wrong thing <laughs> well you can say something on the record and you can okay, show yeah. off 50 years yeah. later <laughs> like 50 years later if i get be this permanently right. recorded on our dedicated google drive server <laughs> right right oh i think what is interesting i'm not sure if it's promising but i think it's novel is that think about everything that we eat today is grown from the field right mm -hmm. so then to grow in the field you need to put resources in you need to put fertilizers etc i think a while ago we talked about this thing called air protein where you mm -hmm. literally make protein from the atmosphere um, atmospheric just, uh nitrogen fixing exactly um, yeah bacteria uh -huh. i think that would be something that's very interesting we don't need actual agricultural land to grow food and we can just grow food based it, it would be like the solar panel of electricity that would be for food right because we're mm. harvesting what's already out there in the atmosphere without the need to manually uh, add things or burn things or you know all of that stuff i think that's promising for me if we can get that to work on a huge scale that will be a big win for food production but uh we'll see in Got 50 it. years so that's that's my guess how would you call it airing <laughs> airing, airing hey. versus canning <laughs> yeah like oh did you air your food today yeah no, i oh gotta go God. air it i forgot to air it it's gonna take yeah. like an hour can i have some of your air food <laughs> yeah <laughs> there'll just be like some type of like meal kiss that came from air <laughs> yeah exactly yeah like, make an instagram ad for it oh my god this is a very imaginative episode yeah um yeah, well, so that's a story of canning, everybody. Yes, that's mm -hmm. right. And do you want to plug in Andrew Yang? Yeah, sure. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> for those of you guys who are uh, part of the Yang gang, so Ang Andrew Yang, a formal presidential candidate uh, for the primaries um, for the Democratic Party, he's actually going to be speaking at a future ift event so like ben said just now ift stands for the institute of food technologist um but andrew yang will be speaking at an ift event on october 20th 
Um, you can Google it. And、um, essentially, you know, he's going to talk about exploring the future of work.、Um, and I think this is, you know, kind of in line with a lot of his presidential speeches and his values and kind of his stance on automation. I think this will fit right into, you know, that wheelhouse,、um, especially、mm-hmm. when it comes to food. I think there's a lot of interesting discussions to be had in that、yes. area. So, yeah,、and、check it out if you're interested.、More. More jobs that being automated, and how、uh, it might be interesting to hear his vision of how the food、um, system would interact with human in the future.、Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, for sure.、Mm-hmm. On the production side.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. Percent. Alrighty. So, do you have a food to share? I don't have a food to share. I actually don't have a food either. I haven't been eating new things all that yeah, much. Yeah, well, it's just like what a boring. <laughs> September. <laughs> It just kind of flew by. September. We don't know what happened, but、uh, yeah.、Um, yeah. I don't know if I had anything.、I'm、trying to think. I mean, I had a very interesting poke bowl today. It okay. A, it was a poke bowl with a lot of fruits. It's salmon.、Fruits? Yeah, but it has like mango and strawberry on it. Oh wow! That actually sounds really yummy. Yeah, it's um. It's、well,、healthy. since you're in Netherlands now, do you find the quality of fish to be different there versus in the U.S.? Um, seafoods maybe a little bit. I don't eat that much. Um, I mean, like fish, I would buy flits, and they're I don't buy the fresh ones because I'm scared of going to the markets right now. Right.、Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's fair. Right, but but um, yeah. In general, I think the meat cuts are slightly better. I think just from the generic, you know, the the more everyday meat quality is higher. I think. Yeah.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good to know. Yeah. Okay, so you can find us online、um, at your favorite podcast platform.、Uh, please rate us a five star if you enjoy our conversation.、Uh, you can contact us at fihpodcast at gmail dot com. So thanks for listening. Yep. Till next time. Bye bye.